Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. It's difficult to imagine a republic spanning a thousand generations being toppled essentially overnight through a plot carried out more or less by a single individual. Yet that's exactly what happened when Chief Palpatine managed to first gain significant power within the Republican Senate and then transition it into the First Galactic Empire. Today I'm joined by Paul McGowan to talk about how exactly he managed to go about this change with almost zero opposition. Let's begin. All right, I'm here on HI 101 with Paul McGowan. How's it going? Not bad. How are you, Paul? I'm doing well. That's good. I'm glad to have you here today. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the fall of the Empire. Um, or sorry, the founding of the Empire. Right. Wow. Gets a little messy, which is going to be a bit of a theme today. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I don't, I don't know very much about it, um, but it's, it's a complicated subject. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really, I, I think... The best way that we can sort of break this down and uh, and streamline it a little bit is to talk about uh, the emperor himself, because I mean, what would the empire be without the emperor, right? right? So, I mean, at this point in time, we're talking about a year numbering system based entirely around the Battle of Yavin, which I think is really alliance centric. But oh, yeah. um, you know, we might as well work with what we've got. So just like keep that in mind when we're talking about uh, before Battle of Yavin BBY. Mm-hmm. So. Chief Palpatine was born 82 BBY on Naboo, which uh, he, he actually did a lot to kind of obscure in his later years, which is kind of strange. Yeah, I know. We'll I see, never knew that he was from Naboo. Yeah, yeah. We'll see that come up a lot like as we go forward in the story. Um, in, in fact, he, he kind of abandoned his first name altogether, Sheev. I mean, most people have never heard that no. before. Um, Palpatine was all about first associating himself with his family name, pa- Palpatine, because they were an old uh, no- uh, uh, noble family on Naboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when that only got him so far, uh, things like senator and then chancellor, obviously, and finally emperor. Right. And, and at one point, I mean, he was just having people call him the emperor. He abandoned a name altogether. Yeah. And and that's really sort of emblematic of his uh, his struggle to just gain as much power as possible. And I mean, this is a really clear theme throughout his life, but uh, yeah, kind of something very, to... Very egotistic. You could say that. You can kind of keep that in mind as we're going yeah. through. Now, some of the stuff that I managed to dig up, he he actually, you know, this 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 lust for power kind of went back to like his earliest days. Like he was always really interested in artifacts that, uh, that gave people either very strong personal or political power. Um, he was always interested in learning more about politics. Uh, he always really resented his father, uh, Kasinga, who was a, a local politician, but like never really had any major ambitions. Right. And he always sort of resented him for not pushing to be bigger in uh, Nebu politics or in galactic politics for that matter. Right. And 
uh, after after a number of years of this sort of like resentment, um, he actually happened to just by by complete chance happened to meet uh, a man named uh, Hugo Damask, who was actually he didn't know it at the time, but a Sith Lord. Now I don't know what you know about the Sith as an order. Uh, you know, I know, I know the basics, you know, that, that you get taught in elementary school, the, the order of two, that, that's, or whatever, the rule of two, that sort of thing. The rule of two, that there's always, uh, only one master and one apprentice. The idea being that when there are too many Sith, they tend to fall to, uh, infighting within the order. That goes back, uh, like a solid thousand years before Mm -hmm. we're talking, um, with the establishment of the rule of two with Darth Bane. Right. But, um... You know, it's it's really the idea that if there's too many Sith in, in an area, they fall to infighting before they can actually accomplish anything meaningful. Right. And so the whole idea behind the, the rule of two was uh, the um, the completion of what they called the grand plan, which was to basically take apart the, the the galaxy from within. But they could only do that by number one, staying very focused, which you could only do with a small number of Sith, and number two, staying um, low under the radar, which you could only do again with a small number so um as an order even though they were very focused on um on power you know there had been countless uh wars between the sith and the rest of the the galaxy including the hyperspace wars which man we don't have time to go into the hyperspace wars so that's just way too off topic um but also the 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 new uh sith wars again around a thousand years before where we're talking where it was just shown that they couldn't so show enough solidarity to be effective as a large group right now um damask or, or darth plagius if you want to use his his religious name was actually looking for uh, an apprentice at this point in time he had just recently killed his own master and um saw a lot of potential in palpatine okay and as sort of a, a rite of initiation actually had palpatine uh murder his father um damn yeah i mean they never really messed around right like the Sith no. are pretty serious about it's stuff still like i mean it's it's still i mean imagine imagine applying to a job and and you're told that that the last person who held the position was was killed because he didn't show enough potential i mean that's right well i mean the one thing that you do need to remember is that as as an order uh the the sith were just incredibly severe right like if you look at the uh if you look at their their code um, basically, it's it's a matter of, it, well, it's it's a reflection of against the Jedi code, but it's it's mm-hmm. uh, you know through passion I gain strength, through strength I gain power, through power I gain victory, through victory my chains are broken, the Force shall set me free. It's actually kind of in, in, inspiring when you look at it just on its own, right? But also remember that the way that this is interpreted. Uh, through the Jedi lens of things is, is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, fear leads to anger and anger leads to hatred and hatred leads to the dark side of the force. Right, right. So, I mean, this is all a matter of perspectives, right? Like, you can't really pass judgment, especially yeah, on sides of, a, a, you know, a religious schism of this, this magnitude, right? Exactly. So, but, I, I mean, either way, what it comes down to is a, uh, a surrender of the individual to their emotions in order to gain power. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Plagueis, when he saw the young Palpatine, definitely saw his hatred for his father as uh, both a source of power, but also as the biggest thing holding him back, right from from uh, a commitment to the Sith Order, right, uh, wholeheartedly. Um, besides, Sith tend to work better without attachments, so you know this all 
tied together fairly neatly. So I know I know I'm jumping ahead. Was that was that kind of a a traditional kind of Sith initiation, uh, killing killing somebody close to you or or, or a kill? Because I mean, jumping ahead when 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 Palpatine tries to coerce Luke to his side, mm-hmm. he tries to do that by having Luke kill Anakin, Darth Vader. Sure. So was that? Well, I mean. What, what you saw in, in general with, with Sith initiations, and we're getting a little off topic here, but what you saw in general was that because it's the rule of two, because it's one-on-one all the time, generally the initiation was very much tailored to the individual. Okay. So you wanted it to be something that was intensely personal and intensely difficult for the individual. Okay. Because that was the only way that you could prove your devotion both to the study of the, of the philosophy and to the individual who you're going to be calling master. Because... Within the rule of two, I mean, the only way you survive as the master is staying alive uh, as long as your apprentice doesn't kill you, because that's the way the apprentice becomes the master, is to kill the master, right? So you Mm -hmm. wanted somebody that you felt that you could be able to trust, at least until they had gained enough knowledge to be an effective Sith leader. Okay. Um, It it, it creates an odd sort of tension within the the rule of two. Um, But it also creates a system by which each successive generation of Sith is trying to be better than their than their successors, right? Because mm. they're trying to convince themselves like, yes, I killed my master, but I'm going to be so good that no one's ever going to kill me. Yeah. Basically. And I, I guess suppose I, I, I suppose the ideal here is that, you know, you have a Sith master who manages to say die peacefully in their sleep after having imparted all of their knowledge to their apprentice except as far as i could tell i mean i didn't look at the lives of every single sith lord but um that didn't really happen yeah as a as a sith you were more or less guaranteed a violent death yeah well it would it would be a hard line to walk because do you you're trying you're trying to train uh, your apprentice but if you if you train them too well then that might shorten your lifespan exactly Exactly, but I mean, it, it, in a in a holistic way, it's training the most um, uh, effective and brutal adherence to this philosophy that you can possibly create. It is a little bit bigger than the individual. It's just this te- this tension between the order and the individual, right? Um, where uh, you know you'll you'll see you'll see similarly brutal uh, methods in like all sorts of places in history. Like one thing that springs to mind is is the Spartans who would uh, uh, who would uh, examine newborns on the day that they're born yeah, for any physical yeah. defects or any signs of weakness or sickness and uh would uh, at that point in time commit infanticide um if they were deemed not strong enough to be beneficial to sparta um and i mean you know there are countless civilizations across history that have done similarly brutal things it's right a, it's an outdated thing as far as we're concerned but it's not as though it doesn't you know if you if you completely leave out any moral moral relativism here it's it's uh uh it's got a very functional use within sure. society especially when um physical strength or mental strength is especially important yeah so you know i it's 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 bad i don't want to i don't want to say it's a good thing no but, but it's when you remove yourself a little bit it's 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 useful you can understand where they might when be you, yeah from. when you look at it through the context of of trying to better um your you know your your culture, your your religion, your um, your country, mm-hmm. whatever. Then it, it you can kind of see you see the logic, I guess. Sure. And again, not a not a a, a laudable one, but certainly a, an understandable one. Mm-hmm. Now, P- 
Palpatine was actually uh, elected to the Senate at the age of 30, which is relatively young. I mean, on Naboo, there's a very strong culture of uh, public service. Everyone serves uh, the country or serves their their government uh, between the ages of 12 and 20. So, I mean, a a young senator isn't unheard of, but generally uh, a representative to the Senate would be a little bit older, a little bit more uh, experienced. Right, Um, that makes sense. Palpatine did most likely, we, we were not entirely sure, but most likely facilitated the assassination of the previous senator in order to gain his own ascension to the Senate. But not 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 confirmed? or It's, it's hard to say. I mean, okay. along with a lot of things about Palpatine's early life, it's not exactly well documented. Right, and he right. sort of made sure of that both at the time and later on when he had the, the, uh, the power and the influence to purge such records. Yeah. And he served, uh, he served a very long time as senator to, uh, to Naboo. And, and by the way, serving as senator to Naboo isn't just for the planet, but actually for a, a region of, uh, of the Outer Rim that includes about 35 different, uh, different planets. So it wasn't just a responsibility to the one planet. Um, it, was, it was a little bit wider than that. So he had a fair amount of influence um, on, uh, on, on uh, Coruscant. But... In general, when you look at his his record of public service, it was relatively uh, calm for that first little while. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what Palpatine was actually up to at this point in time was training. I mean, right. becoming a, uh, you know, working as a main Sith apprentice is not easy work. So a lot of what he was doing was being a very unnotable uh, senator right. while spending the bulk of his time actually studying. So trying, trying not to get noticed. Exactly. Basically. As well as, you know, when he was being noticed by other politicians, uh, he was making a point of being as likable as possible. He wanted to be seen as a very moderate, middle-of-the-road, uh, unassuming politician. Right. And this was all very, very intentional. I mean, Palpatine could be very charismatic and um, very influential, not only through his own personality, but also through, you know, uh, specific methods of, uh, of influence that he had learned uh, through being a Sith, he could quite easily persuade people towards his own means. But um, he, he, as well as his master, Darth Plagueis, believed that it was better that he cultivate as wide a net of um, respect and, and uh, admiration as he possibly could. Sure. Now, what you start seeing after about 20 years, he finally, well, they, at this point in time, it's mostly Darth Plagueis that is, uh, that's running the show in terms of um, the behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on. Okay. Um, Plagueis was actually, um, you know, his day job was basically working as a banker. So he was, he was cultivating vast amounts of wealth and influence, huh. uh, which were all basically being funneled towards this grand plan. It's something that you don't really think of is, is the Sith having day jobs. Right, because the way they're portrayed is 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 evil is their is their full time job. Kind yeah, of just thing. sitting around looking grim, looking and menacing, and, and and maybe shooting off some lightning bolts or whatever. Sure, or choking officers on the, on the bridge of a star destroyer. Sure. Um. So it's it's interesting to to find out that they had a life beyond. Well, there's always more to the story, you know. How right, right, right. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, they needed some sort of um, uh, resources to 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 further the the grand plan. I mean, the grand plan really is to bring the entire galaxy under Sith domination, which, you know, no one donates that. You have to have some sort of resources to bring to the table. So, Plagueis is working on the whole wealth end of things. He's also studying deeper into um, more of the, uh, the the esoteric matters um, 
of the Sith religion, which, you know, started to consume more and more of his time, while also mentoring Palpatine in the more uh, political aspects of, of some of the stuff. So basically, Plagueis is the bankroll, Palpatine is the, uh, is the, um, uh, the political uh, power in, right. the, uh, in, the, in the pairing. And what you start seeing around this time, uh, so say around uh, uh, about, th- about 40 years before the Battle of Yavin, Palpatine actually takes on uh, an apprentice. Um, it's the, it doesn't end up being a, a full apprentice, and uh, he, he only goes by his Sith name of Darth Maul. Palpatine decided that he was a little bit too unstable and basically not intellig- intelligent enough to be a full apprentice right besides which rule of two technically he wasn't actually supposed to have an apprentice so this is behind Plagueis's back right so he's training this basically sith assassin for his own means and this is things that he's this is a a tool that he's going to put towards assassinating key government officials right um uh even going so far as to assassinate key members of the jedi order now the the jedi order we've kind of been skipping past but as you know, at this point in time, they're more of a, a protective uh, custodial force in the uh, in the in the galaxy, right? Um, meant to be sort of peacekeepers and sort of uh, spiritual guides and mentors to the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. There was some. Well, let's let's pull back a, a little bit and look at the the galaxy in general because we've been talking a lot about Palpatine as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the 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 Galactic Republic is has existed for 25,000 years or so at this point in time like a very very long time yeah and like a lot of very long-lasting political bodies it was really choked down in um, sort of bureaucratic red tape so ideally the way it was supposed to work was that representatives from uh, from important systems uh, would come together in the uh, in the galactic senate which was a representative body of all the uh, all the areas of the galaxy who would vote together on key issues. Right. Now, when when the Galactic Republic started, it was a much smaller body, right? And and it was much more kind of able to. It, it was much more uh, responsive and sort of maneuverable, politically speaking. Okay. In that it was a little bit more easily able to respond to crises or to you know even even things like changing sensibilities of its citizens to to uh, change and adapt legislature to uh, to match the will of the of the citizens. As the republic got bigger, because I mean, once once something as stable as a republic as that republic was established, more and more systems want to join in, right? Right, And as right. more systems join in, the more bogged down the process becomes. On top of it, you have um, issues with what would basically be, it would be fair to call them lobbyists. You know, okay. you have a lot of money that's at work in the, in the system. Right. Where a lot of people don't feel like their voice is properly being represented by the senators that are being sent to the center of... Um, galactic government right which is which is probably going to be the case in in any government that that the constituents feel like like their voice specifically is not maybe very well represented well and that's always a problem with yeah. uh, with uh, democracy in general is is that the larger it becomes the less powerful individual voices are right that's just how math works yeah, yeah. and and that's why you see things like the, the you know the the democracy of Athens you know the the city state Two thousand years ago, in uh, in Greece, being so effective is that you have 
male uh, land-owning citizens that are directly involved in their own government and actually exerting like strong influence over their day-to-day lives, feeling uh, really devoted to politics, really um, really involved in politics, and really feeling like their voices matter. Right. Whereas you see, um, you know, well, democracy is the is the uh, most common form of government in one form or another today, and even. Even now, I mean, the best that we can usually do is some sort of representative democracy where you don't even have a direct say in anything. You just elect a person that you hope is going to make your general opinion heard in a forum in which their opinion may not even necessarily be heard. Right. Which right. is frustrating for a lot of people. When you expand that out onto a galactic scale, I mean, the, the, the amount to which a single voice is lost within that clamor is really difficult to imagine. Yeah. So a lot of people were kind of at a point where they were a little bit frustrated with the Galactic Senate in that they felt that it took uh, far too long for anything to get done. There was such a long precedent uh, in terms of laws that anytime anything was done, there were millennia worth of cases that they had to go through looking for precedent as to whether or not there was even anything that could be done. Right. The law was a nightmare. So, you know, I I can understand why people saw it as sort of this big lumbering uh, entity. Um, On top of that, you know, a lot of people talk about the Galactic Empire as being a very centralized government because, you know, you see the the emperor as sort of this main uh, figurehead. It really wasn't actually that centralized compared to the Galactic Republic. I mean, we'll we'll get to it eventually, but when you look at sort of the... um, the sector governance decree under which um, various sectors of the government or of the galaxy were governed by uh, their own moths that would look after that area and re- report back to um, the emperor. Right. Really what he's doing is decentralizing power to those regions and those regions were governing themselves underneath moths that reported to the, uh, to the, the, the emperor. And this is really similar to say what would have happened in um the the later centuries of the roman empire right where you would have various regions of the empire reporting to their own governors who would report back to the emperors rather than anyone actually coming to rome directly with local issues that doesn't really make sense yeah and i mean you know if we were to play things out uh when the when the roman empire fell those are the people who would end up as kings and queens after there was no more roman republic were these governors of these areas right because they knew the local politics they knew how to rule this this uh, particular area and really all they were concerned with was you know a following broad rules of the empire uh b making sure that the taxes that needed to be to be paid were paid however they decided to get them paid and c keeping order in their area right yeah so I mean, the, the, the you know Palpatine was never interested in you know day to day ruling stuff. He wasn't interested in having people come in and like doing audiences and stuff like that. He wasn't interested in writing specific laws. He was interested in sheer like pure power. Right. And nothing will bog power down like the tedium of day to day ruling. Yeah, exactly. So no, the 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 Galactic Empire was not that centralized, especially compared to the Republic that preceded it. So how close? I mean, you said so. The, so the goal of the of the Sith was just just domination of the galaxy, mm-hmm. um, and the Galactic Empire. The w- the way that it's told was was seemed fairly all encompassing, mm-hmm. um, with the collection, obviously of of the Rebel Alliance here and there. Um, so how close? How close was the Galactic Empire? Would you say to to kind of the Sith ideal of dominance of the galaxy? 
Well, I mean, the the, uh, the problem with the, the, the main or the, uh, the grand plan was that it was uh, two-pronged. There was both the, the political domination of the galaxy, but there right. was also the defeat of the Jedi, okay. which is something that we were kind of getting to uh, a little bit earlier. Um, in terms of how close it was to the Sith ideal of ruling the galaxy, I mean, the Galactic Empire spanned almost two-thirds of the galaxy. Right. That's a pretty big feat. And honestly, despite there being small uh, insurgencies here and there, um, the occasional, uh, you know, Jedi uprising that they had to be put down, uh, the, the Emperor reigned unopposed for nearly 19 years. So, uh, you know... I, it's not may a bad not have run been, for a dictator. It's... It may not have been a bad, or it, it may not have been ideal, but I'd like you to point to somebody that did it better. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. As we were talking about stagnation, there was also an interesting thing within uh, what the Jedi were doing, which was that there are kind of two main ideals within the Jedi philosophy, um, which you'll already notice kind of problematic. You sort of want everybody to be on the same page, but there are two views of the... Uh, of the force, one being the unifying force and one being the living force. Right. Now, adherence to the philosophy of the living force believed that people should be present in the moment to sort of allow themselves to be part of the galaxy around them, to uh, feel the presence of other beings near themselves, and to sort of basically just go with the flow. Whereas Jedi, who adhered to the unifying force, had this sense of almost helplessness in that they felt that uh, they they were uh, subject to the whims of the force that there was sort of this inexorable march of time that uh, that uh, you know through which the force exerted its will on all of us and that you could watch the force for signs and you could watch it for patterns and you know people who uh, who adhered to the unifying force theories placed a lot of um, importance on visions and uh, and signs and things like that and tended to try and watch for what was going to come okay but often at the cost of uh being directly involved in um current events right now the schism now the schism within the jedi was uh only really a problem in that during this time in about the 50 years or so before the uh the battle of yavin the, the, the skew was so far towards the unifying force that the uh, the Jedi were almost crippled in terms of just how actionable they were within the, the galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. They tended to be seen as a lot more removed from day-to-day life than they would have been, say, 100 years before. Right. Where rather than active participants within the galaxy, they were seen as very being like extremely withdrawn, uh, very mysterious, very unapproachable. Right. Um, and... A lot of times they would talk about how they had seen things coming, but not necessarily done anything about them, which was not necessarily a problem within the Jedi Order, but was very problematic for the view of, you know, the billions and trillions of citizens of the galaxy who saw these these people basically doing nothing and not understanding why. That was my next question. So was, was public opinion kind of turning against the Jedi? Um, or was it not quite that severe? I, I would say less that it was turning against the Jedi and more that the uh, the Jedi had found themselves in a position where they weren't... Um, there, there wasn't strong uh, public opinion for them. Okay. They weren't part of the community. They weren't... Um, most citizens had never met a Jedi. Right. And those right. that had probably only met them because something horrible had gone on. And basically this this unapproachable force had swooped in 
taking care of some sort of problem in some way they didn't necessarily understand and possibly didn't really help that individual. Yeah. And then just left again. And so even though there were, you know, around 10,000 Jedi or so within the galaxy at this point in, in time, which isn't a lot of Jedi. Right. It's a lot more than there are Sith, but it's not a ton of Jedi. Uh, even though there's all these Jedi that like most people didn't understand who they are, or what they were up to, what their motivations were. So, you know, while there were stories of what they were supposed to be like, and there were ideas that seemed more or less like propaganda coming out of the Jedi Temple yeah. in terms of what their stated mission was, you know, the average person had no idea what to think of the Jedi. Right. They had probably never encountered one. And and yeah, the uh, their 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 opinions of what that encounter might be like was as much colored by fiction as it was anything else any any personal experience or any person or any experience of anyone that they knew sure yeah so that's a pretty solid setup i think we'll take a quick break right there and when we come back we're going to talk about a few of the little uh little a few of the political (laughs) machinations that sort of uh really efficiently and quickly brought down the uh the republic and really laid um you know paved the road for the empire to rise yeah sounds good All right, we're back on HI101 here with Paul McGowan. Hey. Paul, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's good. This is, uh, this is super interesting so far. That's good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I thought we'd jump back to Palpatine because that's kind of where the action is at. Sure. It's amazing how much of this was actually centered on a very small number of people. Yeah. 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 Um, usually stuff like this is a lot further reaching. And it's not as though there wasn't any further reaching uh, causes of all of this. Because, I mean, absolutely there were trends in galactic politics and things like that that were sort of setting this stuff up but sure. really it needed a push from a, a single central character so, so quick question um mm-hmm. i know you said that that plagius was kind of bankrolling everything yeah and palpatine was in the position of of political power yeah um but but all of the political moves that that palpatine made you know during during his rise to power were those engineered by him or was some of that um plagius um suggesting say what to do next is it is that I mean, clear at all or yeah well i mean it's 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 really hard to say i i would imagine that there was a gradual shift over time in ratio mm-hmm. uh i mean one of the things that we do know that uh palpatine said about plagius later was that essentially he waited until plagius had taught him everything that plagius knew before killing plagius okay so that would suggest that there was a long learning period especially considering that you know uh, Palpatine was a senator for a solid 20 years before he really made any significant political moves, at least right. overtly. Right. So I'm sure a lot of this sort of maneuvering behind the scenes was being su- suggested by Plagueis, just less and less as the years went on. Okay. Now, again, we're not entirely sure about the, uh, the circumstances of uh, Palpatine killing Plagueis. It's a little bit murky. Okay. Um, but uh, it's 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 almost certain that he uh, at least had Plagueis killed, if not killing him himself. Right. Which is quite likely. I mean, uh, the Sith, as we talked about earlier, placed a lot of importance on things like that. Yeah. Um, It was a very, very brutal order. Now, Plagueis would have died around 32 years before Battle of Yavin. Okay. Which, incidentally, is actually the same year as the Naboo Crisis. Now, we wouldn't even bother talking about the Naboo crisis if it wasn't for uh, 
the the impact it had on Palpatine's um, political uh, standing. Right. Because essentially what happened there is this was Palpatine's first move for power. Really what happened is that behind the scenes, the, uh, the, the Trade Federation was trying for a, a little bit more influence within the Senate. Now we talked about sort of the um, the the special interest groups, the um, uh, lobbyists that were that were really important within the the Republic. Right. You know, the Trade Federation was one of the biggest ones. Okay. Yeah. They essentially controlled all trade within the galaxy. So any of the major hyperspace lanes were being uh, monitored and controlled by the Trade Federation. Now, one of the biggest weaknesses of the the Galactic Republic that you know uh, Palpatine would eventually bring, sort of under control, was that a lot of the um, uh, the outer rim territories, like the stuff furthest furthest from the center of the galaxy, right, was not being actively monitored by the Republic. In fact, it didn't technically exist under uh, Republic jurisdiction. Okay. So the Trade Federation was trying basically to get the uh, the Republic to support um, the establishment of trade uh, out to the Outer Rim, which would involve funding from the Galactic Republic, which they didn't really want to pay. Right. Uh, would involve uh, military support from the Republic, which they didn't really have to give. Okay. And would involve like major uh, economic subsidies to the Trade Federation uh, for, you know, in return for the Trade Federation developing these new trade routes. So okay. They were asking for a lot from the from the uh, from the Republic, right? And the uh, the Republic wasn't really willing to give it, both in terms of what they were actually what they actually wanted to do and what they could do. Doing something as large as change, essentially changing the borders of the Republic, isn't something that happens very easily at any point in time. Of course, let alone given how bloated the uh, the galactic uh, the galactic republic had become at this point in time right so their response partially based on encouragement from palpatine but acting uh, covertly he, he would uh, i mean his 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 sith name was was darth sidious and so he would arrange a lot of the more clandestine operations under that name mm-hmm. um, he you know part so partially under his urgings um, the Trade Federation actually started uh, developing its own uh, droid army, uh, which was not super legal under Republic laws. Right. And um, somehow somehow went completely unnoticed. Well, they were operating entirely in the Outer Rim where they had no jurisdiction. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. So they, 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 they developed all of this far outside of Republic jurisdiction where, I mean, even if the Republic didn't know about it, they couldn't really do anything about it except maybe put sanctions on them internally. Except mm-hmm. then you would have a legal battle over whether or not them doing something that is illegal within the Republic outside of the Republic is actually illegal. Right. Which is a really difficult legal battle to fight. I mean, today, if say you know you get issues with uh uh today let's call it nike for uh running sweatshops in cambodia where it's not necessarily breaking any local laws but nike is not necessarily a cambodian corporation does it deserve any sanctions within the united states for running uh these sweatshops that would be illegal under u.s law right yeah that's a sloppy sloppy position yeah and i mean Looking at it from a moral standpoint, it's a lot better for for Nike as a as a company from a PR standpoint to simply back down and do the, you know, 
less horrible thing. But, I mean, that's just as much for their own image as it is for any sort of legal trouble that they would be in if they continued to do so. For sure. Right? Okay, so so the Trade Federation, let me just clear this up. They were, were they a part of the Republic? Were they, uh, they like, were, a, like an agency, sort of? Or were they a separate... They were a separate entity. They were a federation of businesses that had become extremely powerful and influential that had managed to lock down monopolies on various trade routes within the Republic. Okay, okay. Yeah. And that was another thing that was problematic within the Republic was that there was a trade uh, federation that controlled all the trade. Right, because I was going to say it should be the Republic, Yeah, ideally, I would think, controlling uh, trade routes. uh, Well... Or you could say that ideally it would be no one at all. Right, right, right. In, right. in terms of, in terms of, it depends on where. But you I just fall mean if it was going to be anybody. Again, it sort of depends on where you fall on a political, uh, yeah. on a, a political spectrum, right? Yeah. But I mean, personally, I would have thought that uh, trade routes that were being policed by the republic, but not necessarily uh, heavily tariffed by the republic, would be an ideal situation. Right. Um, but again, that that reflects more about my own values than about what. Uh, a sort of uh, universal ideal would necessarily be. You know what I mean? For like sure. someone else might say that ideally no one should police those and whichever traders were able to best fend off uh, outlaws would be the best system yeah. as like a purely capitalist venture. Right. You know, like, it, or others would say that a, a route public, uh, a police by the Republic, but also tariffed by the Republic and have the traders that are using those routes pay for their routes would be a more ideal system. Yeah. So again, we're, we're you know, it, it's it really says as much about the person picking what the ideal is than than anything else. Yeah. So I think that, I, however, I do think that um, privatizing the both the control and the the, the taxation of trade routes by a, a private venture is one of the more problematic ways that you could possibly go. Yeah, I guess that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can we can definitely agree on that one. Really, what ended up happening at Naboo was they they the Trade Federation picked a system that they knew was relatively pacifist and probably wouldn't hit back that hard, and set up a what you could call a symbolic embargo. Okay. So they completely cut off Naboo from any outside trade, and threatened uh, they threatened invasion if the uh, the government of Naboo wouldn't ask for. Uh, these expansions of trade federation powers within the Republic in the Senate, um, the representative being Palpatine. Right. Which really no one knew about that. I, I, I mean, Palpatine had definitely steered them in the direction of Naboo, but, you know, there was no, for, for most parties involved, that was a complete coincidence. There was no telling that that was why they had picked that system in particular. It just seemed like a fairly pacifist system. Sure. Um, Palpatine didn't seem like an overly powerful senator necessarily that could get this done. He just seemed like a pushover who might be able to help them push this through. Okay. Okay. Um, what's more, the uh, the official head of state of Nebu was a teenage girl, which they felt would be a little bit easier to influence. Right. Now, that's sort of ignoring the Nabu tradition of public service from the ages of 12 to 20 and a long history of very young rulers. I mean, to, to have people work in government serving, you know, their, their communities and their, their, their planet for, 
for their formative years. I mean, I think that's a kind of a cool system. You don't really see that around. Uh, it seems a little bit better to me than, say, for example, compulsory military service. But yeah, once yeah, again, yeah. we're, you know, my own values are showing here a little bit. The embargo didn't go as expected. They didn't sign the paperwork like they were hoping they would. And it t- instead, it turned into this big war of attrition. Meanwhile, in the Senate, what Palpatine did was request uh, formal Republic aid for the, the embargo situation. Now, as far as most of the Senate was concerned, this is a bit of a non-issue. Like, they don't really care that there's one planet that has a military embargo against them. The Republic hasn't been to, to war in thousands of years. Not full-scale war, not galactic war. Right. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not be hasty. Let's go figure out what's going on. Maybe send in a couple of Jedi to check things out, and this should all blow over. This is somebody just making a lot of noise, squeaky wheel and grease and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't want to act too quick, uh, too quickly on this one. Uh, Palpatine, however, decided that this would be a really good opportunity to uh, get himself installed as Chancellor of the Senate, which is basically the executive head of the, the entire Republic. Right. It's a pretty good position, especially if your grand plan is to rule the entire galaxy. For sure. Just saying. So... Uh, as soon as as soon as uh, the the chancellor at that point in time, Valorum, called for a, a sort of investigative um, solution to this whole problem, Palpatine had uh, had convinced the uh, the then ruler of of Naboo to call for a vote of non confidence in Valorum. As soon as a vote of non confidence is called and enough people ratify that vote, essentially there's got to be a vote on whether or not the current chancellor is fit for rule. Right, which seems, I mean. I feel bad for Valorum in this situation. Well, it seems it seems a little bit... It seems unstable that, that one system can call for a vote of non-confidence when there were... What were there? Hundreds of systems in the Galactic thousands. Senate? Or thousands of yeah. systems? I mean, it. I would almost guess that it would happen all the time. Well, I mean, there's got to be a... Uh, first, there has to be a vote of non-confidence. Right. That vote has to happen. And it's not until the current chancellor is actually overthrown that there's some within the vote that there's any sort of action against it. Votes happen quickly. And if there was somebody that was abusing that system, they could easily have someone call a vote of non-confidence and have it voted against in a matter of minutes. Right, so, right, right. Besides that, um, you don't want to be a senator who's constantly calling for votes of non-confidence over every issue because... That's the way that you get no one to ever work with you. Good point. And yeah. in a set, in a set that size, you need allies. There's no way you can get anything done by as an individual. Yeah. You need to form bo- voting blocks on a lot of these issues. So yeah, as easy as it seems to call for a vote of non-confidence, it's not something that was happening every day. Okay. There's a lot of good reasons not to be using it unless very necessary. Now, a lot of the rhetoric that was flying around against Valorum over this issue made a vote of non-confidence seem fairly uh, reasonable. On top of that, Palpatine had spent the last 20 years cultivating political allies that were willing to help him out on this vote of non-confidence. Sure. And a lot of people had problems with the the, the Trade Federation. So essentially they were seeing a vote against uh, Valorum as a vote against the Trade Federation and just allowing them to do whatever they wanted to do. Right. Whereas... You know, in terms of actual action against the Trade Federation, they didn't really have a lot of recourse. Okay. So they all, saw all this of a sudden, way... all of a sudden, the Naboo crisis makes 
so much more sense. Yeah, it, it's always been presented in a really confusing way. There's a I lot think that's really yeah. un- unfortunate. You, you'd think that they, you know, something that's interesting and intriguing. You'd think they'd find a way to like actually kind of get to the meat of it and present more of the story. Yeah, well, or at least present it in a way that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we work with what we've got. Mm-hmm. So, really, all of this comes down to you know. Palpatine having having a big enough block of support and enough people being against the Trade Federation that they were able to get Valorum ousted, which honestly for Valorum was probably the best thing that's ever happened to him because he <laughs> seems like a really nice guy yeah. that was working as best he could within a system that was broken and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sure. Now, again, that's my personal opinion of Valorum and you can take that as you will, but uh, I, I don't think he was a bad guy. He was doing okay. Now, there were a couple of contenders for for Chancellor at this point in time. Uh, Palpatine won. We don't really know how that all went down necessarily. Uh, it could be that he was just broadly enough liked and he seemed bland enough and and populist enough that he was able to win handily. It could also be that there were all sorts of backroom dealings or uh, other types of intrigue that went on that uh, that helped get him voted in. I mean, uh, you know, for example, Bail Organa was another one of the uh, the contenders for Chancellor. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the Organa family of, of Alderaan goes back uh, 25,000 years. They're one of the most, you know, the oldest and most noble families in the galaxy. Somebody like Bail running for Chancellor, especially when he'd been com- campaigning for like months before this happened, seems like a shoe in So how it ended up being Palpatine, uh, I don't know. I wish I had more information on it. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... And and I mean, you know, that's that's how these things go. Sometimes uh, I can I can make some guesses at it, but history isn't really about guessing, right? It's it's about what we know. For exactly. Sure. The other thing that really came out of the, the 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 fallout of all of this is the establishment of the Outlands Region Security Force, which was one of Palpatine's first um, major motions as Chancellor of the Senate was to basically establish this. Uh, the system under which the the outer rim was pulled into republic control without having the full benefits of membership. So uh, that sounds worse than maybe it necessarily is. Uh, think, for example, of within Canada provinces versus territories, okay. where territories don't necessarily have the same representation that a province does, at least on a provincial level, but they do have... Um, a lot of the same benefits of citizenship that uh, that anyone living in a province would. Okay. So it's it's sort of a tiered system in terms of what services are offered and also what responsibilities are required. Sure. But it is a measure of bringing them out under control. And uh, this this uh, this initiative was um, helmed by uh, Will of Tarkin, uh, who would later be a, a fairly um, influential moth and then uh, yeah, grand yeah. moth. Um, so. Again, we see him kind of setting a lot of stuff up that's going to be extremely important later on. Uh, let's skip ahead because the next 10 years are... Uh, th- there's a lot going on, but it's not quite as exciting. A lot of it is very like one-on-one intrigue type stuff. Okay. Uh, in and around this time, we, we see uh, Palpatine pulling on another apprentice. Um, as we know, Darth Maul was... Uh, fairly badly wounded in the in the Battle of Naboo. Um, most people actually thought him dead. The Jedi certainly did. It turned out later that he wasn't, but that's a completely different story. Right. Um, he uh, he took on a, a ex Jedi Count Dooku, 
um, and made him his his apprentice and started cultivating a uh, separatist faction within the galaxy. Okay. Now, this was made up uh, mainly of uh, Outer Rim systems who felt like they were underrepresented in the Republic, which is completely reasonable, yeah. as well as other Republics that had a, strength, uh, a strong anti-Senate uh, sentiment, uh, basically within their own political bodies. That was sort of the, the easy step. The end, then the other thing that they brought in was some of these larger interest groups that felt that even though all the money that we're throwing at the uh, the Republic, um, they weren't really getting everything that they needed out of representation within the Republic. Okay. So things like the banking clan, uh, the, the Trade Federation, who strangely enough still existed after the whole issue at Naboo, but, uh, you know, in a significantly restricted uh, capacity. Sure. Um, uh, the techno union, just, uh, you know, uh, these groups that really didn't feel represented within the, uh, within the Republic. And these, this, uh, this group of planets ended up forming a separatist coalition and they spent years building again, droid armies, which are technically illegal within the Republic, uh, in, in preparation to, uh, invade Republican space. Right. So the thinking you said, Palpatine and Dooku were cultivating this separatist movement. Um, the thinking there being that if you had a more divided um, republic, uh, it would be easier to to conquer, I guess. Or so there's there's two major things that come. Well, there are three major things. Let's go with three, and we may have to expand that as I make up the list in my head. Okay. There's there's a bunch of things that come out of uh, creating a a civil war. Uh, the first one is that. Uh, the chancellorship is a limited term. You don't just get to stay chancellor forever, right? Which means that sooner or later, Palpatine is going to need to f- need to figure out a way to stay in power. Uh-huh. One of the best ways to do that is to be given emergency war powers. Right. Okay. The second one is a militarization of the Republic. At this point in time, there are local defense forces, but there isn't a huge Republican army. Right. You said they haven't been in a in a full out war in thousands 10, 000, of years. Right. Thousands and thousands of years. So they just don't have that there. Um, and the third, for Palpatine at least, is the undermining of the Jedi philosophically. Okay. We want to eliminate the Jedi as, a, as, a, as a, an opposing force. Right. And we'll get to that a little bit more, uh, what, what happens there as we get into the Clone Wars. So around the time of the Naboo crisis, Palpatine had been uh, speaking to uh, a Jedi master who uh, was worried about the state of the Republic at that point in time. He was concerned. Uh, he had seen visions of the, uh, the Republic uh, falling to, in, into warfare. Sure. And Palpatine managed to basically influence him into creating a, or, or at least uh, signing the work order for cre- creating a clone army with the Kaminoans. Mm. This uh, Jedi master was then killed shortly thereafter to basically keep any trace of it coming back to them. And then uh, uh, Dooku, once becoming um, Palpatine's apprentice, went about finding an appropriate subject to be cloned. He ended up uh, settling on on some bounty hunter with, you know, like superior combat ability or whatever. They were looking for like the perfect specimen. So he went through this whole process of like a, essentially a contest sure. um, uh, to, to find the most capable uh, candidate for, for being cloned. So as far as the Kaminoans were concerned, they had a work order from the Republic to create a clone army and they had their specimen specimen to start working with. And so they just went to work right? in the expectation that uh, this Jedi master would come back and collect when, when ready. Yeah. 
Now, the uh, the Jedi did eventually uncover this plot. Unfortunately, it was during the uh, the last stages of preparation for the Separatists to uh, declare their their separation from the rest of the the, the Republic. And so, rather than uh, canceling the the program, which is probably what should have been done with it, or probably what they would have done with it if they had discovered it otherwise, the uh, the Jedi Council decided that it would be a, a lesser evil to simply use the, the 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 army that had been created for them uh, to oppose the separatists right and thereby uh, save the lives of all of these Republican citizens that would have otherwise just been steamrolled by the separatists and their droid armies yeah and that's basically how the Clone War starts is where it, it is with the declaration of separatism um, by the the separatists and the uh, the the immediate opposition using this to them very mysterious clone army now why would palpatine bother creating an army if he was just going to use another army to take over the republic wouldn't it be easier to just defeat the republic using an outside source and then install yourself as dictator seems like it would be wouldn't it yeah yeah Uh, the answer is uh complicated but that comes down to our third point, which is undermining of Jedi philosophy. Okay. See, the Senate decided that the um, best way to lead clones into battle wasn't necessarily using clones themselves to look after themselves because they didn't fully trust them. There were there, there's a lot of sentiment towards clone soldiers that's it leans toward bigotry. Okay. In that, I mean, they're grown hyper uh, quickly in order to not take a generation to grow an army. And their training is extremely intensive, but there's a lack of real world experience that goes along with that that was considered untrustworthy. When you combine that with the lack of uh, a full galactic army, you have a distinct um, vacuum in terms of leadership. Sure. Enter the Jedi. They decided to put Jedi into leadership roles make uh, the, ge- the general of each unit a Jedi, thereby focusing uh, the Jedi focus on the war itself rather than the more spiritual pursuits that w- they would normally be, uh, be consumed with. Well, and I was, I was going to say, I mean, it, it sounds great on the surface until, until you consider that, that these Jedi haven't really been active, so to speak, for... For probably most of their lifetimes, right? They haven't they haven't fought they haven't fought any wars. That's correct. And I mean, they're they're certainly capable warriors. They can take care of themselves. But sure. tacticians, generals, not necessarily. And it's not as though they weren't capable at them. I mean, a number of them were incredibly uh, talented generals. Sure. But what you end up having is the scattering of the Jedi Order all across the galaxy. One Jedi here, one Jedi there, leading different detachments. Right. Right. So you have them completely spread as thin as possible. And rather than acting as a peacekeeping force, rather than doing any of the things that their propaganda say that the Jedi Order is supposed to do, you have them leading uh, these huge uh, military detachments. Uh, the Jedi Order becomes synonymous with military leadership, with warfare. And they aren't leading droids, they're leading cloned human beings, which, you know, when you look at it from a point of view of the propaganda that Palpatine is kind of slowly putting together for them not only are they failing as peacekeepers but they're essentially 
slave masters who are sending human beings to die. And I mean, that's a reality of commanding uh, an army, is that you send people to die. Yeah. Uh, But within the fiction that Palpatine is creating that's trying to uh, besmirch the name of the Jedi... Uh, you, it's it's really easy to take that and spin it into a very bad thing. For sure, yeah, yeah. So now we have a, a republic with a full military, which is the one point. The one point. Um, we have the undermining of the uh, the Jedi philosophically, right? And all we have left is the separatist motion that or the separate this this separatist movement that's tearing the galaxy apart. Well, I mean. We could spend all day on on the Clone Wars. It's it's really complex, but really, what it comes down to is that uh, Dooku was completely betrayed by by Palpatine in the end, in the interest of allowing the Republic to win the war against the Separatists. Right. Now he never let Dooku know that the idea was to allow or to defeat the Separatists in the end. Uh, as far as the, as Dooku knew, the first plan that we talked about, namely taking over the Republic, using the Separatists and installing himself, was the way that we were going to do this. So Dooku was completely committed to the Separatist movement. Okay. Now, there's a good chance that as far as Palpatine was concerned, this was just a win-win. Because whichever side won, he would be able to lead. Right, right. Which is a great setup, uh, if you're Palpatine. (laughs) But the second one, where he comes out as Defender of the Republic, successful Defender of the Republic, while destroying the Jedi Order, is really a little bit better for him in the end yeah because as the war progresses they put more and more emergency measures in place to allow palpatine to stay in power past the end of his term uh to give him emergency orders there's there's the the uh one that was called the reflexive order that basically allowed the uh the chancellor to respond to any military threat uh without running it past the the uh senate first so if anyone attacks anywhere he could send a, a military to address that threat right without running it by the the senate to begin with which when you control the leadership of the opposite side basically gives you license to send a military anywhere you want without checking in with the senate for sure yeah um and and that's just one of many of the uh of the issue or of the the measures that were put in place until by the end of the clone war the, 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 the office of chancellor was basically unrecognizable uh, in terms of what it was able to do politically and legally. And then and the fact that the Republic hadn't yet been overrun by separatist forces, I mean, that pro- I'm sure there were people who were unhappy with the amount of power that he had. Uh, but I would guess that he also had a certain level of popular support at that point. He had a lot of popular support. There were a lot of people who were unhappy with the amount of power that he was uh, he was gathering. But most of them were apologists. They believed that he really would give back the powers uh, at the end of his term. Right. And I mean, I know that sounds crazy. It's not without precedent. I mean, the the original office of dictator, uh, the, like where we get the word from uh, from Rome, from the Roman Republic. Yeah. Um, the office of dictator was handed out in times of war, and it was basically giving a man the ability to do anything he wanted without going through the Senate. It's exactly what we're talking about here. Sure. With the understanding that as, as soon as the crisis was passed, he would hand back those powers. And that happened a, like, a number of times where the powers actually were handed back at the end of a crisis. So it's not impossible it's not without yeah, pressing yeah. you know what i mean obviously knowing how this is going to turn out it looks a lot more insidious than maybe necessarily everyone that was involved at that point in time would have seen it as being sure but yeah it's 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 not it's not really 
impossible for him to have given back those powers. And I mean, he was incredibly likable in public. His his public persona was like extremely charismatic. And there were those who were suspicious of his motives, but the vast majority of people saw him as um, extremely patriotic, but I don't want to say harmless because that's not quite the right word, but they they didn't expect anything uh, bad to come of any of this stuff. Otherwise, they would have been probably a lot more careful than they necessarily were. Yeah. And I mean, there are other factions at play here where they may not have been the biggest fans of, uh, of Palpatine personally, but they saw the things that Palpatine was doing as being uh, personally advantageous to them. For sure. Still others maybe saw Palpatine as a threat, but were too afraid to oppose him necessarily and wanted to go along with it in case anything went wrong. Yeah. So you have a lot of complex layers. I mean, we're talking about thousands of individuals reacting to a set of circumstances. It's not really that cut and dry. Yeah. You know what I mean? When the the Clone Wars ended, when the Separatists were officially defeated, we all know about Order 66. Yeah. This was a... uh, so in any military, there are always certain orders that are basically always standing, um, that if you're a member of that uh, military, that standing order exists for any time a certain situation comes about. For example, if you're a soldier, you already know what or how you're going to conduct yourself if you're ever, ever taken captive. Right, right. right? Like you, you, those those orders are standing, and they are there for a reason, and you probably know them off by heart because they've been drilled into you. Likewise, one of the orders that was snuck in uh, during the training of these clones was Order sixty six, which was essentially uh, a fairly harmless seeming order, basically saying that if, for whatever reason, a, a coup was attempted by the Jedi Order, that the uh, Republican Army had a duty to. Um, to prevent this insurrection. Sure. When Order 66 was invoked, the as far as we could tell, the Jedi Order was not actually attempting any sort of coup. Palpatine was instead using this executive order in order to um, eliminate as many Jedi as possible. He then went to the public and told them that the uh, that the Jedi had attempted a coup at the end of the um, at the at the end of the Clone Wars. That they were that the the Jedi generals were unwilling to give up their clone armies, right? And instead, were bringing these armies back to Coruscant in an attempt to overthrow Palpatine himself as well as the entire Senate and set up a Jedi-run dictatorship. And and most people most people bought that. Most people bought that because let's remember what we're what we're talking about in terms of the Jedi. We're talking about an order who they didn't really see doing anything until war broke out. Right. And then when war did break out, they saw it they saw them as a class of warriors who were more than eager to take command of these clone divisions in waging war across the galaxy. Wow. And on top of that, we have the chancellor telling you that they were on their way back to try and overthrow the republic. And that he had managed to stop it, and and I guess you're already in which, wartime, and and Palpatine has gotten you this far, so. Well, I mean, what what do you believe? Yeah, yeah. There aren't really any Jedi to speak for themselves, and Palpatine, as you said, has gotten us this far. So, as unlikely as it seems, when you sort of understand a little bit more about the Jedi Order, who they were, what they tried to do. Um, 
for Palpatine to come to them and say, you know, this is what happened. You know, the, the Jedi are not the people we thought that they were. We've made a mistake. We, the Senate, have made a mistake. But we've done what we can to fix it. <sighs> of course you believe them. It's a pretty good spin. Of course you believe them. That's the same day that he declared the end of the Republic and the, the rise of the Galactic Empire. And, uh, I mean, that was a that was a really big day. There were uh, a number of massive changes almost immediately. Uh, Coruscant was immediately renamed to Imperial Center. Uh, it was renamed the Imperial Navy instead of the Republican Navy. Uh, same with the Army. Um, the, there was there there were a number of uh, military bodies that uh, that were completely switched over. Um, you also saw really big changes in reorganization. The uh, the Outlands Region Security Force that we talked about earlier, yeah, uh, that was reorganized into uh, or under the Sector Governance Decree again, uh, kind of headed up by Tarkin, um, which uh, brought about the organizational structure that we were talking about earlier, namely dividing up sectors under MOFs right. that were responsible for the direct day to day governance of their sectors the uh now imperial senate was kept on but really in a much more ceremonial role especially with the uh uh with the inclusion of the the moths looking after the various sectors involved sure so all of a sudden you've got a very peaceful galaxy which is entirely under the thumb of now emperor palpatine uh who has the biggest army that the, the biggest army and navy that has been seen in thousands of years reorganized in a way that is both very modular in terms of the uh, in terms of the sector governance uh, system right but also very directly reported to him in that if uh, uh, if a moth is losing control of their sector palpatine has the means to bring the sector back into into line and we'll also just simply replace that moth with someone who is more qualified to keep them under their thumbs. For sure. It was extremely adept. For all the other terrible things that you could say about Palpatine, that was a good 50 years in the making, and he saw it through, and it worked out really well for him, at least initially. I mean, uh, you did have uh, some systems that refused to fall into line immediately those were branded separatist holdout cells and were crushed by the the military right because they 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 were just branded as as members of the the separatist union that uh were refusing to honor the ceasefire that had been put in place with the defeat of uh general grievous and count dooku right um that effectively ended the clone wars as far as everyone else was concerned uh, you also had a few holdout Jedi here and there, but public sem- sentiment had turned against them so uh, strongly that the idea of the, the the Emperor setting up basically Jedi hunters was not unreasonable. Yeah. Because these were people that, as far as you were concerned, had conspired to overthrow the, the government of the galaxy. Right. And were enemies of the state. With that in mind, that's basically the way the galaxy functions for a solid 18 years after the establishment of the uh, of the Empire. Sure. Until you start seeing uh, rebel cells pop up, mainly 
uh, we would be talking at that point about the one uh, founded by uh, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and uh, Garmbel Iblis, as we all know. Um, but we'll leave that for another time. We don't want to go too long on this. We did want to focus kind of on that transition from the Republic to the Empire. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, let's let's maybe let's maybe leave off with that 19 years of of relative peace. I mean, certainly totalitarianism, but certainly uh, much more uh, peaceful than the, the previous few years. So then would you say, and I mean, maybe this is hard to, to, to quantify in any way, mm-hmm. um, so the, the 19 years of, of relative peace, would you say that, that the plans um, to build that first Death Star, did that kind of help crystallize the the efforts of the Rebel Alliance? Or, or were those plans kind of, uh, the, the, the Rebel Alliance's plans, I mean, were those sort of kind of already... Well, it's important to remember that all three founding members of the Rebel Alliance were former uh, Republic senators uh, who were strongly opposed to the rise of, of uh, Palpatine and who were also all um, uh, personal friends with Jedi. So right. didn't really buy the fiction of the Jedi takeover. Okay. Right? So so those those efforts, I mean, in one way you could say started uh, a couple years before the Battle of Yavin. In, in other ways you could say started a full 19 years before with provisions that were put in place at the rise of Palpatine, uh, specifically uh, with an eye towards his defeat. Right. Uh, when the time was right and merely sort of waited until a more opportune occasion. Sure. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a that's a tricky one to say for sure as to what specifically brought about that crystallization. I mean, the, the Death Star itself was meant to be kind of an, a, a personification of the power, the, 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 the regional power of the Moffs, this idea that um, you couldn't uh, defy the will of the Empire because... They literally had the power to destroy entire worlds. What are you going to do to oppose that? Right. Um, right. But really, if you if you look at it in terms of continuity, um, I'm not surprised that a Death Star was made. If you know what I mean, like we, yeah. we were always going that direction. Yeah. It took it took you know a full 19 years, but eventually even the Senate was disbanded, even though it had become basically a a, a figurehead shell of what it used to be. You had senators meeting and talking about things, all of which could be extremely easily circumvented, not only by the emperor, but also by the uh, the moths that were looking after their own sectors. So why were they even bothering with the facade of democracy? Right. Well, because if they didn't, they would be branded uh, traitors. And that was necessary for almost a full generation of people before it became okay to take away an institution that had been there for 25,000 years. Yeah. So, you know, if, if anything, if nothing else, Palpatine was a patient man. Yeah. You know, he, he took, uh, he took nearly 60 years to, uh, to actually gain control of the, of the entire galaxy in the way that he wanted to, you know, spending a couple more years, uh, um, consolidating that power wasn't a problem for him. Yeah, it's playing playing the long con for sure. Absolutely. That's... Yeah, and I mean, yeah, the the, the galactic politics under him were uh, nearly as interesting as um, as they were beforehand. I mean, you had a 
uh, a much freer economy as long as you were willing to pay dues to the empire. Uh, you know, smuggling became a huge thing because you didn't have a trade federation to look after trade anymore. Right. Uh, we were, were more into the sort of system that I was talking about earlier where whoever was strong enough to defend themselves uh, in trade were able to move goods. And the only alternative was to send them by like certified um, like imperial uh, shipping, which was incredibly expensive. Right. Which in some ways kind of encouraged smuggling, I suppose. But I mean, the Empire didn't really consider that a major threat or anything like that. It's not as though uh, they expected smugglers to be an opposing political force, for example. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and anything... Anyone that was opposed to the empire on a on a local level, uh, it was just suppressed by the, the the local imperial garrison. Because if they didn't suppress it, then they would have somebody bigger coming along. Until they had the the sector management coming along. Until they had the empire or emperor coming along, and nobody along that chain wanted to be the one to bring in the higher guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know. I know some of that stuff gets a little bit um, confusing, a little bit Machiavellian. Um, some of the politics can be a tiny bit boring in terms of how he managed to pull off different emergency powers. Um, but again, like it, it's, it's really not unprecedented. If you want like other examples of, uh, of emergency powers being used the way we're talking about here, uh, just look at Julius Caesar. Uh, just look at uh, uh, Hitler even. Um, yeah. the, the chancellorship in Germany was, was torn down piece by piece in a very similar manner to the way that Palpatine managed to do it not necessarily by being at war, but through economic crisis. Right. So, you know, it's, it's really not unprecedented. He wasn't using anything uh, that, that hasn't been used before that isn't known to be very effective. It's just that he was so adept at, at controlling this process that, uh, that he managed to sneak it under everyone's noses. Yeah. Well, and, and like most, like most dictators was a, was a very charismatic guy by, by most accounts and a very likable guy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, any other questions on this stuff or no no i think that's it that was uh that was interesting there's a lot there's a lot that i that i that i didn't know awesome well i'm glad we uh, got a chance to sit down and talk about it today all right yeah. thanks for being on the show yeah of course okay so i'm guessing you guys have a lot of questions first off yes this is what passes for an april fools episode on hi101 uh, an extra special thanks to Paul for very graciously offering his time to indulge this. And thanks as well to two-time guest Kevin Miller for suggesting the concept ages ago. It was a great idea. Uh, second, yes, there will be real actual history this month. Paul and I also spent time talking about the Iran-Contra affair. Um, the first episode of that will be up in the next day or two, depending on how editing works out. Uh, it turns out that doing a whole extra episode in a month puts some strain on a workload, but it'll be up before the weekend, I promise. Third, no, not all the stormtroopers were clones by the time of the Death Star. Uh, those clones have a limited lifespan, being on an accelerated growth program, and the cloning facilities on Camino were destroyed during the Clone Wars, so they're pretty much all dead. Um, after the declaration of the Empire, the clones were shuffled throughout the Imperial Army, and stormtroopers started taking recruits from the general population. I forgot to mention that in the episode. It's a really common question about Star Wars. Just thought I'd put that out there. Uh, fourth, no, I will not be posting show notes in the traditional format for this episode. I have no corrections that I want to make about this. 
Uh, if you want to internet fight me over Star Wars details, you may do so in the comments for this show or on one of the platforms I'll be mentioning shortly. And finally, as much fun as this was and as silly as it might seem, I do have some actual real reasons for doing this. I'm not going to read them at you, but if you follow the link in the show notes or go to hi101.ca, I'll be posting an article in the near future about what treating fiction like history can teach us about real history. It might not be everyone's cup of tea, uh, but if you follow me on the sort of weird ride that is this show, you might find it interesting or at the very least thought provoking, which I think is a really useful thing. And I hope you take a look. As always, this episode barely scratches the surface, and even more than usual is my own interpretation of the events presented here, so if the material that we've talked about today interests you, there are plenty of other, more detailed resources out there, and I encourage you to look through them and form your own opinions and theories. It can be a lot of fun. I'd also encourage you to engage further with HI101 online, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a rating and review, follow us on Twitter at HI101podcast, and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash HI101podcast. You can also drop us an email at contact at HI101.ca. If no one wants to internet fight about Star Wars, that's okay. I'd also be interested in hearing what other fictional universes you'd like to see treated in this manner. Uh, perhaps for next year. We'll see. I don't know. I'm not making any promises. Um, I'm telling you now, though, I won't do Tolkien. I love it too much, and if you think Star Wars fans are hardcore, go ahead and mess up something regarding our Farazan's relationship with Sauron the Deceiver in The Fall of Numenor and see how fast your inbox fills up. It is not something to be trifled with. Jokes aside, I'll see you all soon to talk about the Iran-Contra affair. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.